we live in a time where information is so available to us that if we don't grasp that moment, if we don't grasp that information to, to, to correct our course for the better, then generations from now will look back at this moment in history and say, what a missed opportunity. Welcome back to The Empire's New Clothes. I'm your host, Brad from MacArthur. In a moment, we're speaking with Alexander Mariotti. He's a Roman historian, and today we're going to talk about what are some of the forces that were impacting the Roman Empire towards the latter part of its life, and how might they parallel the U.S. today? Alexander, thanks for being here. really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a, it's a pleasure. I'm, I'm honored to, to, to be on the show and uh, involve myself in this very tumultuous discussion. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how tumultuous it is. <laughs> so you um, have quite the knowledge of Roman history. Um, we were just talking off camera. Yeah. That doesn't mean you know everything about history that has ever happened. You nope. have a specialty in Rome, Roman history. And so yeah. I just wanted, we've spoken a bit before leading up to this and your your knowledge is clearly quite deep, but how did you get interested in Rome to begin with? Like you're you're from the UK, and uh, oh, so what, what what brought you to what brought you to Rome, and then all that deep dive into Roman history? Well, I'm 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 a cheat because I'm half Italian. My father's actually from okay. Rome, and my father is the obsession with history. Um, much to the point that when I was younger, he would he would tell me a, a great deal of stories, and they were kind of fascinating because. Uh, I think when we're young, we have that obsession with knights. And of course, when you see Roman armor mm. and you see it, it's, it's intriguing. You know, it, um, it doesn't seem real. That's the thing. It's almost like this other world. Um, and I, so I've always had an obsession with history and, and a love for Roman history. And then I think it kind of took a switch as I got a little bit older because um, it was a bit like that old Monty Python joke. You know, what did the Romans ever do for us? And then you start learning what they did do for us. And you realize that a lot of things that we do today, still do today, come from ancient times. And it's a bit like that phrase that Russell Crowe says, you know, uh, what we do in life echoes in eternity. That's very true of the Romans. What they did do in life has echoed and will echo in eternity. There's still things today that are hugely influenced by ancient Rome. And it was almost like learning the secrets, you know, learning these wonderful secrets of why do we talk the way we do? Why do we say certain things? Why do we behave certain things? Um, and that fascination was married with being in Rome because I think the, this love of history, um, and if you really become into history, it changes the way you think. Hmm. Like you, it really does change the way you think. I mean, it's changed greatly the way I think. And then being in Rome, on top of that, um, if you come to visit in Rome, what you'll find is that it, it has a way of making you think differently. Because you constantly live, as I do, I live in Rome, um, you live with one foot in the past every day, one in the present with a, a little toe in the future, because you're surrounded by these wonderful monuments, these behemoths that are 2,000 years old, and it just, on a daily basis, even if subconsciously, puts into perspective how short your life is, how transitory it is sometimes, how things that we think are so important are futile. And um, but it also, I think, changes your behavior, because when you see and you read history and you see what a knock on effect it has, and certainly for myself, you realize that there are consequences to your actions. 
Hmm. Not always, but they can have them. And these consequences can be generational, you know? So put that all together is made me the massive nerd I am today. I'm the person you never want to watch a historical film with. I'm the person you avoid at Christmas parties because if I get you in a corner, this is what happens. And you say, oh, tell me about that. It's over. And I carry two drinks, so I'm a menace, you know? <laughs> Here, I got one for you. Listen to the story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you, um, you know, that's actually really fascinating that you say it's changed the way that you think. And it sounds mm. a little philosophical almost. Is that, can you point to any really specific examples, perhaps? Oh, sure. I mean, uh, in a way, it's it's actually what's brought us to to have this conversation, um, which is that my view of of what what's going on, I almost think of it as a historical point of view. Like, I mm. think, you know, one of the reasons we're here talking is because when I look at you know, modern politics, or I look, especially when it comes to America, to the presidents, I think there was like a moment where that sort of way of thinking of, we all have a history. And you start, you know, you, you realize there's moments of your life where you're going, oh, I'm actually making history in my book. If you were to write a book about my life, I would be making history, this would be a historical note. And so I started looking at events in the world. And I started looking at presidents. And I thought, I wonder how they'll be remembered. And one day, people will read about the U.S. presidents in the same way we read about emperors. And, uh, and you kind of think to yourself, you know, when you look at history at how, like, for example, the Dark Ages, the amount of information we lost, that information might have made a huge difference into our perception of certain historical characters. Uh, you know, there's always that sort of famous one. Imagine if in the future say there's a, a war and we lose all information and we lose all our hard drives and you know they find little snippets of history or little snippets of information from this period because there's nothing left what would their perception be of our time if we were to find in the future you know we we have a war we lose all our information and all they find is nazi propaganda what would their ideas be of that period of history so in that way, it changed, it changed the way I, I, I think and I approach things. And when it, came to, when it comes to still today politics, I, I look at it from a purely historical perspective. And I'm kind of fascinated because I wonder where we're going. And I, I kind of see a trajectory or I try and work out if there's a, a precedent that we can learn from. Um, I, I mean, it's a little bit of a pet project, really, but that's, that's it. It's just, you know... You, you realize that these, these events, like I think, here's another one, His, like who makes history? Even mm -hmm. today, if you had all the money in the world, it doesn't mean you're going to be remembered. And you often look at people like Julius Caesar and you go, why was he remembered? You know, and there's great characters in history who should have been remembered, but they're not, they're footnotes. And so I also look at it that way and I think, who will make history? You know, who's going to be remembered 2,000 years from now? Who'll be the Caesar of our moment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, actually, break that down a little bit for me. In your view, what does make history? And then perhaps overlap that to that question you just posed of who will make history today? Or not necessarily who, but how. Oh, the Kardashians, for sure. That's the only period. That's the only thing they'll remember of this period. <laughs> that's all that we'll ever remember of this period. Uh, what, what does make history? You mean as in, as in people? 
Yeah, or, or events, in general. Like, wh- how, why are certain things uh, the headline and certain things footnotes? Oh, I mean, you know, that's oh, that, that's 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 a, a very ample question because you can put it down to, you can put it down to luck. You can put it down to so many things. I mean, look for example, if you take, uh, okay, you take even Christ, right? I mean, the fact that the Bible has survived in the forms it has over these years when you look at how tumultuous history has been and there was a huge possibility that at some point maybe every version of the bible was ever burnt or destroyed that would have changed history so sometimes it's it's pure luck sometimes it's um just a manifestation of uh, of of events really you know there, it, I think that's what we try and do is we try and find a common denominator in these things, right? We try and make sense and it's mm. natural. It's human for us to try and make sense of things and find a formula almost. But when it comes to history and the question specific that you've made me, there is no formula. It just, sometimes it just happens. Sometimes it's because people were smarter. Sometimes people were richer. Sometimes people were luckier. Yeah, it, it, it is a really interesting question. You know, I was just... Um... I know not a ton about Roman history. Um, well, probably about history in general, but I was just recently reading, um, like rereading the events leading up to World War I because yeah. it's, it's so complex. And yeah. um, uh, what struck me was the Archduke who was assassinated in uh, Serbia. Yeah. Um, or I believe it was Serbia. Anyways, that is often pinned as like a very, very significant moment leading up to that war. Sure. But sure. really, it's this big spiral of events. And you can even break yeah. it back because his driver, uh, someone threw a grenade in the car earlier on yeah. his procession. His aides were injured. They dropped him off the hospital, kept doing the procession. Hour or so later, they visited the hospital, like the mm-hmm. Archduke, to see if his aides were all right. And then they were going back to his hotel or somewhere, and the driver took a wrong turn, just a wrong turn. And then there yeah. was that guy there who had the gun and shot him. Right. So had the driver not taken the wrong turn, we wouldn't have pinned such significance on this Archduke. Yeah. But something else would happen. So kind of to your point, why are we not focusing on the driver <laughs> making well, just this mistake? But, but, I think, but I think we like that, though. I think we're kind of intoxicated with the idea that history can change any moment. And it's, yeah. I, I think we, we're more fascinated... Uh, it's a very human condition as to the lottery that is life. And then mm-hmm. when we look at these events, we go, gosh, it was so close. You know, like Caesar, like, you know, Caesar before he was assassinated, there were so many. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there, there's a lot of propaganda that goes into Caesar's story, but he almost didn't get murdered. And you think if he didn't, how would history have gone? But what I like about what you've said now, right? So you've looked at maybe you like the Second World War and then you go, well, how do we get here? Then you go to the First World War. And you can actually trace that back because if you go back to mm-hmm. 9 AD, we have the story of Arminius and the Battle of the Teutoburg Forest in which three Roman legions are wiped out by uh, a German chieftain who was actually a Roman officer. He betrayed the Romans. And huh. because of this, the Emperor Augustus was absolutely distraught by the loss of his legions. And the commander who led this disaster was a man called Quintilius Varus that the Emperor Augustus was known to walk around his palace smacking his head off things and saying, give me back my legions, Quintilius Varus. But because of this, their interest in that part, the east of the Rhine, they left it. And it was never 
it was never assimilated into Rome. So their culture went in a different direction, their language, hmm. right? So you think, well, what's the, what's the, you know, what's the connection here? Well, in the 1450s, uh, a, a, a writer who taught, I think, I believe he taught at Harvard, starts reading about Tacitus, and he's a, he's a historian, and he talks about Germania, and he talks about this indigenous tribe and these, you know, these, and, and what happens is that the, the nationalists start picking up on that, and Himmler picked up on that, and he said, look at this, hmm. this is this place, Germania, this pure race, they weren't touched by the Romans, and you realize that two things separated in history by close to 2,000 years are actually hugely connected. So that's, a, that's my fascination in history yeah, is this, is that you go by step, by step, by step, by step, you know, and you realize that it's all in, interconnected. That's, that's what's, what's fascinating about the topic on a whole. Yeah, it's certainly a spider web. Well, yeah, very much. We, in the West, we're certainly very fascinated with Rome and yeah. the Roman Empire. Um, there's a lot of empires out there. And there's many different stories, but for some reason we're really fascinated with Rome. And I think that is to your point of um, how what they've done in the past has has impacted our future so much, and we can draw these yeah. parallels. And so yeah. let, let's walk into that a little bit. And um, you know, there was a currently today there's a wealth and cultural divide, Very and true. in Rome they experienced that as well. So maybe yeah. walk us through a little bit about their experience with the wealth and culture divide and perhaps things we can draw out of that. Sure. Well, you know, um, I think one common mistake we make about Rome, especially, so you, first of all, to, to answer your question, why uh, in the West our obsession with Rome is because the Roman Empire is our great-grandfather in a way. They're their great-grandparents. Hmm. You know, we we know that we're connected to them. We We know a little bit about them, but not really a great deal. But they are where we come from, and that's I would say we are Romans, and you'd be fascinated and uh, appalled at the same time as the amount of similarities of even simple things that we say, gestures we use, uh, yeah. or the way we live our life that were influenced by these people 2,000 years ago. The problem with history is that we teach it as a separate thing, which is why we, we tend not to always learn from it. It's always like there's a separation between us and them. And when it comes to the Romans especially, we tend to think we're so much better than them. And it's true. We have a certain arrogance um, and a certain, I don't know, uh, infallible belief that, you know, things were worse in Rome. And then you find, well, actually, when you look at it in a whole, in some cases they were, and in some cases they weren't. Now, when it comes to wealth distribution, um, the top 1% of Rome owned 16% of the wealth. Now, if you look at today... I believe the top 1% in America owns about 58% and the top 10 owns 70. I mean, that is mm -hmm. a vast, vast difference. And that gap has been getting larger. I believe, I think, what, in about 2011, if I'm not mistaken, um, it was, I think, the top 1% in America owned 40% of the wealth. So in 10 years now, we're close to 60 and that it's just, you see that the divide keeps getting bigger and bigger. That very much happened in Rome, to the point that one of the factors of, of Rome's demise is in fact the, the separation of wealth and the inequality hmm. of the Roman system. Can you, can you walk us through a little bit more of that, perhaps those end years then, and 
how did that wealth divide impact the demise of Rome, or maybe it didn't? Well, uh, so one of the big problem. Okay, so as is the problem with every empire, right? Empires are huge machines. They're machines mm-hmm. that engulf things. That that um, they're like massive trawlers that you know just put out huge nets and they just trawl everything when they're maybe just after one particular fish and there's so much collateral damage (laughs) empires are very much like that the problem with the machine is that it needs to be fed and when you stop feeding it it has a constant need for more it starts to break down slowly and then eventually it just breaks completely and that's very much what happened with rome is that rome expanded expanded to the point it couldn't anymore but it it very much with difficulty maintained what it had. And there's a, a myriad of factors that were involved in this. Clearly, the difference in wealth was a huge part of it. But debasing their currency was one of the bigger problems. Hmm. Um, so for the, for the Romans, for the first 220 years, they use um, a coin called the denarius, and it's made of silver. It's approximately 4.5 grams of silver. What happens is that you, you don't have a, a, an infinite amount of silver at your disposal because they have to get it from somewhere. So they plunder it, they conquer places to get their silver mines. But their amount of spending was entirely controlled by the amount of silver or gold that they had available to them. So that doesn't work for the emperor doesn't work for the wars they want to fight because they want to fight more wars but they don't have the silver they don't have the coins so they can't fight the wars they want to build massive monuments the emperors you know have their vanity projects so what do they decide to do well they start decreasing the amount of silver that's actually in the coin so they mix it for example with copper so if you take about the time of one of the, the sort of best emperors Rome had, which was Marcus Aurelius, who most people know because he's the emperor depicted in the movie Gladiator. So we're talking the, uh, 160 AD. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the denarius is 90% silver. Hmm. If, if you go 100 years forward, it's 5% silver. Whoa. <laughs> right. Now here's, here's the collateral effect. You, you put less silver, you get more coins. But what's happening is the wealth is being moved away from the people because then everything starts to increase in price, right? At the end of the day, it takes more coins to get to pay for the services. Um, if you're talking about the empire, they've got the cost of logistics. They've got to pay their soldiers, their administrative fees. fees it becomes more expensive. In fact, at a certain point, the soldiers say, well, we want more coins because the coins are worth less. So suddenly the price starts increasing and the divide becomes bigger. And it it, it increased poverty because people were unable to pay for the services that they were used to. So even their quality of life was greatly affected by this. And this is one of the the factors that leads to, you you could say, one of the the factors that that is pulled into the end of of, of the Roman Empire. Was there a point where they ever, the people just flat out didn't accept the coins? Like, no, that's, I would just rather trade you with actual silver. Well, but where'd you get the silver from? That's the problem. The, you know, most people don't have the access to that silver. Hmm. So, no, it wasn't possible for them to do it. Um, And again, you can draw sort of 
parallels with modern times, right? Um, take Italy, for example. Italy, I think, greatly suffered from enrolling itself in the euro. Mm-hmm. And for the simple reason that if you look at the, the way the structure of the lira was, right? So a thousand lira, which would have corresponded to about 50 cents, euro cents, right? And when people made the conversion, what they started doing was instead of putting, you know, a thousand, what was a thousand lira? Let's say a cornetto, a, a, which is the usual breakfast in Italy, is a cappuccino and a, and a croissant, right? <laughs> is about a thousand lira. It should have been 50 cents, but most people just put a euro. So suddenly the, the cost of living increased greatly, but the wages stayed the same. So the line of poverty started to become bigger. That's what happens in ancient Rome. They debased the currency, the coins worth less, the, the price of living, the price of services goes up, but the money you're earning pretty much stays the same. So you start to get poorer and poorer, you start struggling. And, and in a whole, that's what happens to the Roman Empire is they, they, they have a huge amount of costs. I mean, if you think about uh, a system that has to maintain peace through the military, their soldiers are fundamental. They've got to pay for their soldiers. Mm-hmm. But the cost of that becomes higher and higher, and they just kept coming up with um, desperate ways to maintain it to the point that they couldn't, and it collapsed. And I don't think it's a hard stretch to look at America today and see stimulus packages and all these ideas that are coming out with you know sums of money that you just you know trillions billions you just can't fathom it seems like a desperate attempt to maintain things the way they are and you think well how long can you keep doing that yeah and so in in rome's case it seems like there was many many factors leading up to uh, well the the financial repression via the debasement mm-hmm. of the currency. And so at the end, perhaps it's not really important what actually happened to kind of break the back of that system. But out of curiosity, because yeah. I I don't know, in your view, what were those events? Was was it like some, you know, uprisings of, well, listen, I just can't afford food anymore, or the military being like, hey, actually you got to pay me bills, or the government like can't pay any bills. Um, I think, look, you know, it's, it's, um, it is, like, like I said before, it's a tumultuous subject because people disagree greatly on it in their interpretation yeah, of it. They do. Uh, I, I like to try and walk the line and make it as sort of be in the middle and less controversial as possible. You mm-hmm. could break it down into economical, uh, you could put it down to social, and um, I guess you could put it down to environmental. So we've talked a little bit about the economical, right? which is that there was a certain standard of living which not everyone enjoyed. Because, you know, let's not forget that one of the big things is that Rome, as a machine, has one thing that feeds it greatly, and that's slavery. And slavery was great for the, for the elite, but it was also bad. Now, mm-hmm. it's great because they have cheap labor. So one of the, the big problems that Rome faced in, in, let's say, distribution of wealth and, and the inequality of it is land ownership. So if you're wealthy, you buy as much land as possible, right? So initially when Rome um, starts expanding, they would conquer places. And what would the wealthy do? They'd buy up the land off the conquered people. They'd kick mm. the farmers off and they put slaves instead. So if you, for example, were a farmer and you're in difficulty, I come and I say, listen, I'll buy your, your land, but then I kick you off and I put slaves. Why would I pay you when I don't need to because I own slaves to do it. Well, that's what happened. 
And so now you've got a huge bunch of people who are unemployed and the unemployment leads to restlessness. So what happens is the state would intervene and the Roman state was, was one that took care of its poor more than any other in history. Hmm. They supplied food, they supplied wine, and most importantly, they supplied distraction. They put on games. We, we, we have a great example of this because one of the symbols of Rome is the Colosseum. It, it was there as a great distraction because life was tough. There's a lot of unemployment, but you got something to look forward to. So the economicals one, then you've got the cultural, right? Or the social aspect of, of Rome's decline. Well, Rome has a massive change, which is that you have a change of religion. So we, we go from um, a society which on the whole was very religiously tolerant. We always have a view of Rome as being religiously intolerant, right? Because we, we were affected by Christian writers that come afterwards. But when you look at Rome that comprises, you know, from, from England to North Africa, uh, 60 million people, you know, uh, living under one rule, but they're people with different religions. Mm -hmm. You know, you have uh, Jews, Celts, you have Egyptians, you've got Roman, Greek. Um, and then, of course, we have the introduction of Christianity. And that really split society in a great way because there was no gray area, right? You were either you were or you weren't. And, and this internally ripped Rome apart. And I, and I think mm -hmm. that looking at America today, I, I feel that that's very much true, is that America's moved into this period where there's a huge divide. There's almost like there's a new religion and there's a feverance about this religion and there's no gray area. There's no discourse anymore. And, um, you know, I work with a, a lot of people from the States and what's interesting is to find people from different sides of the spectrum. I could say anything. In fact, you and I could have a discussion and I could say, <laughs> you know, uh, vaccination for or against, you know, there's, I could say, um, Trump or Biden, and these are very, very emotionally charged topics, right? People have an emotion behind it. There's, there's very little uh, reasoning behind these discussions, right? It goes straight into the emotional. It's just that people have a very uh, knee-jerk reaction to these topics, mm -hmm. but they have a divisive knee-jerk reaction. There's no meeting in the middle. There's no, well, the difference is that Roman society was able to adapt. You know, humans are very adaptable to their environment. What, what, what happened with Rome is that you were Christian, you weren't Christian, but they were still Roman. And even though they became Christian, they, they remained Roman. I think that's a huge mistake that America is making right now is there's no sense of what is to be American. You know, there's no mm -hmm. common ground. There's no, and, and that ultimately split Rome. And then the last one is environmental. And environmental, I don't mean it in the sense of, of, of climate. I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm using environmental more in the sense of Italian and, and Latin. In that um, circumstances, which was that Rome was drunk on its power. Who would ever believe that someone could take on Rome? It was, a, it was the superpower of its time. But Rome fought many wars and Rome's enemies became more powerful. You know, we, we have this concept when we're watching films that when the Romans, you know, like Gladiator is a great example where, you know, they're fighting these barbarians and they're, they're half naked guys with clubs and sheepskins. And that's not true that, that the Romans, you know, 
the time you get to Marcus Aurelius, they've been fighting a long time. You know, we're talking, we're just talking about Arminius in 9 AD. So by the time you get to 180 AD, it's a long time these people have been at war. And these people learned, so Rome's enemies learned from Rome and mm-hmm. they became stronger. And so Rome was not able to maintain the territories it did and it wasn't the superpower anymore. And what happened was, you know, the world was ruled by, or the world is, is, is well, that part of the world anyways, um, was ruled by one political system and it vanished. And it took us, I mean, close to a thousand years to get back to towards something similar, you know? We, we have a tendency to look at the way we live and take it for granted because since you and I were kids and grown up, we've known the world to be a certain way, but it doesn't mean it doesn't change. And you see, looking back through history, how quickly it can change. And th- that's why, again, I look at today and I go, well, what's next? You know? Yeah. If, if America isn't that, that sort of governing force in the world, who will be? China, Russia, you know? Because then I look at Rome and I say, that was Rome. But then Rome fell. And who, who did come after Rome? Well, I really want to dive more into the concept you were saying of they're drunk on their own power. But mm. even before that, you were speaking about the um, these cultural divides. And I yeah. want to go in a little deeper because in the States, we've got these intense culture wars, which you kind oh, of yeah. alluded to. <clears throat> and in, in Rome, towards the la- latter part of... Um, the life of the empire were there you mentioned a bit about christianity how it was a divisive thing between you're either with it or against it yeah w- was there in a bigger context these culture wars where almost anything was there were these these battlegrounds you mean were there other topics yeah were there other topics and was it even a thing because in the states now it doesn't matter what the topic is it's a part of the culture wars in a way Whereas, yeah. did that exist in the latter parts of Rome? Were, were the, the uh, culture wars? I mean, not to the extent, certainly, I would say today in, in the States. You know, hmm. I mean, I think there's a, a, a sort of couple of uh, wars being fought on, on different, uh, I, I, you know, different topics and different wars on different topics being fought. Whereas with Rome, that was kind of the principal one. But then there were, I mean, there were slight subtopics. For example, the, the Emperor Constantine moved the capital of Rome to, to Istanbul, to Turkey, to Constantinople. And that sort of divided people as well, because majoritively who remained in Rome was poor. So then mm. it was seen, you know, but um, not, not to the extent, no, not to the, you, you, not to the extent that America's going through. Certainly not, you know, and I mean, it was gradual. This is the thing is that people think it was all of a sudden. No, it was, it was yeah. gradual, but it, it kind of, it got to a point where it accelerated pretty quickly, mm-hmm. you know, where you, you didn't have a choice. You were like, which side are you on? You know, initially it started, it started sort of slowly and it was, and, and, and I feel that that's, you, you can look at this. If you look at the last four years of American politics, you know, a lot of things that are happening today or people are saying today, if you could go back four years, you would never have imagined that to be possible. So you mentioned drunk on power. That's mm-hmm. where Rome could be classified at towards the end there. And when you think about the U.S., there's mm-hmm. definitely these these strong narratives that the U.S. will always correct towards freedom or mm-hmm. it'll always come out on top. There's this American exceptionalism. 
And it sounds like that existed in Rome. Very much. It's and not so, novel. No, it's not novel at all. And so maybe walk us through a little bit further of like, what what was that experience like? What was that narrative like for a Roman? Well, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a wonderful, um, my, my father's full of these fantastic uh, little snippets, right? Um, like he, he, he would always say, his, history's the professor of life. You know, yeah. it, and I was wondered what the heck it meant when I was a kid. Now I realize I'm like, you're right. It's it's life's teacher, in many ways. Um, but he 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 always says one um, that translated says, "Tough times make strong men. Strong men make good times. Good times create weak men, and weak men create tough times. And it's this constant circle. And I." think that that's what happened in Rome and I feel to a certain degree that's what's happening now is that when you don't know the tough times you don't know how good you have it when you're born and everything's wonderful and you're used to things being the status quo you just imagine that's the norm and you don't Mm -hmm. think it can change until it starts rapidly changing and then you try pulling it back and I feel that that's precisely what's what's happened is that and it, I mean, it happened with Rome, which was that, you know, they, they did have tough times and these tough times created very uh, strong characters that had to lead society in a certain way and try and make things better. And ultimately, you know, you do it for your children, right? That's what you want. You want it for the next generation. If you have children, you think I want the world to be better. But then that next generation in many ways came into Rome, born into Rome. It was always at the top, at its peak and could never imagine it would be different. I mean, when you go to see the ruins of the Forum and you tell people this place once ruled the world, go back and tell the Romans in the time of Marcus Aurelius that a hundred years from then, things would be in chaos and a hundred more, it'd be close to the end. They'd never believe you. They could never possibly believe you. I think that that very mm, fallible belief in one's own immortality as an empire or as a society is exactly what, what, what's happened in America. And still happens. People can, can't imagine that it will ever fall or that it will ever go, you know, it'll ever be different. But you, you see that in the last at least four or five years, there's been a huge shift and mm-hmm. the ground has begun to shake as it did towards the end of Rome. And so why... Why do we think we stand on some kind of pedestal above history instead of a part of it? And I, you know, you made examples earlier alluding to that, that we don't take the lesson seriously from past generations. And I'd say even, even like my parents or people like peers, when they experience something, it is still different than when I experienced it personally. Yeah. And the lessons are are still different. And in one way that's very easy to understand because it's it's just a more powerful, more personal experience. But in another way, it's it's just a con- it's a confusing one that I think about all the time because I feel like there's a, a bit of pride in that mm-hmm. I think more highly of myself than these other people who are either in history or uh, you know, past generations. And yeah. so therefore I'm less likely to make mistakes that they made. Yeah. And is that the root of it or is there other things going on or yeah. wh- where well, are your thoughts here? You know, the, the, 
the Romans had um, had these three books uh, called the Sibylline books, and they were these books that were apparently bought by the last king of Rome from a Sibyl. Like a, imagine like a um, someone who tells the future, and these books mm. were consulted on occasion. Not so much they were kind of prophetic books, and they kind of you know harked of of ill coming or changes or you know. And um, and it's a little topic I was always kind of interested with because it was one I read when I was younger. And I always thought, you know, as people always do, what if we could know the future, right? We have entire films yeah. about what if you could know the future? What if we had a series of books that could tell us where we're going? And we do. We live in the most fortuitous moment of history because we live at this period of history where we can look back and we can learn from it. If this was 500 AD, that would be impossible. We live in a time where information is so available to us that if we don't grasp that moment, if we don't grasp that information to, to, to correct our course for the better, then generations from now will look back at this moment in history and say, what a missed opportunity. It'll be that car with the Archduke going down the wrong, you know, the wrong street. It'll be that one moment we were so close and the problem is that we, we, we look at history as an entirely different subject to us. We teach it like it isn't part of us. It's boring. I hated history at school because <laughs> I didn't find the relevancy to it. But what yeah. is fascinating to it is there is a massive relevancy to it. And I think it's our, our, our approach to history. I mean, that's why I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm honored to come and talk because, I mean, I always like to premise, I don't have political sways. You know, I'm, I'm, I really look at American politics from, I play a lot of devil's advocate because I look at it purely from a historical point of view, but I'm also not a doomsday. I'm not, I know it sounds all like doom and gloom and the end of the empire and all that kind of stuff, but that's not my purpose. Actually, my, my purpose is to talk about it so that say, we can learn from it. It's not doom and gloom. We really have an opportunity to change the course of history. All of us do. And it, it, it's about our actions having consequences. So we, if we looked at history as being relevant to us, and, and it's hard because, look, you and I, Bradford, we have a history. We have a personal history. How much do we know about our great-grandparents? How much do we know about our, our great-grandparents? Yeah, so Do we so. really know that much about our grandparents? You know, we know snippets, right? We know so little. So even our own personal interest in history is somewhat limited. Imagine the history of, of other people. Um, if we looked at it as something relevant to us, then we would have a different opinion. And yes, we have to get off our high horse and our arrogance as being more civilized and advanced than people in the past, because it's not true. Actually, mm -hmm. sometimes we're the opposite. You know, there's, um, I, I'll give an example. People always say when they come to Rome, they say, oh, those Romans, you know, they were huge immoral and orgies. And I'm like, the Romans never had the internet. If you think the Romans were sexually immoral, you know, the internet is something that has the ability to, you know, has some deep, dark corners that Rome didn't have. The Romans were brutal. They loved to watch people beat each other up, sometimes die. Mm -hmm. we, we don't. Look at MMA. It's, I mean, it's fast becoming one of the biggest sports in the world. And what is it? It's two men in a cage in combat, mercilessly beating each other up. How can we sit and judge any ancient culture when we are very similar to them? Because, and here's the big thing that people always make a mistake with history. Strip away the costumes. 
I know that if you get a picture of Julius Caesar and a picture of you and I today, we look very different. <laughs> but strip that down to just the person. There are so many themes that are so ingrained in us. Our desire for greatness, our desire for fame and for fortune, for love. And they're so intrinsically part of us as human beings that when you look at history, those, those themes repeat themselves. One of the things, mm -hmm. why did Rome, why did Rome fall? Or why did Rome change? Why did Rome go from a republic to an empire? Well, because they realized that, you know, people like Caesar realized if you've got money and you've got an army and you're bold enough, you can grab power. What, that isn't, that isn't the last, what, how many years of politics, you know, not just in America, yeah. but in the world where if you've got money, you don't have to be a politician. You can be anybody. Right? That's the American dream. You can be anyone. You could be the president. You can be an astronaut. How many times you heard that? Well, people take that seriously at one point. They say, well, if I've got the money, why aren't I president? You know? And we see that now, right? The mold's been broken. Anyone can become president. Now we've got actors wanting to become presidents. And, you know, so, but you look at ancient Rome and you think, okay, one of the, the things that happened as well was corruption, greed. Well, that's human. That's what's happening today. There's greed, right? There's who has wealth and they don't want anyone else to have it. You know, when you mention it, there's a distraction. I mean, come visit Rome. There's a wonderful thing called the Colosseum. And that was the point of it. Uh, a writer called Juvenal said, people, they just need bread and circuses. That means they just, they just need games and food. Feed them, distract them. They'll be fine. And I think that's true of, of a lot of people, right? Oh, gosh, I don't want to deal with politics. I don't care about politics. Like, you know, everyone's life is different. It depends how much struggle you have in your life. But this is why there is an empire. If we're so advanced, if we're so civilized, we should be entirely different from the Romans, from the Greeks, from the Persians, the Parthians. But there's still empires. There's still struggles. And ultimately, it's, it's because we're, we're human. So it's the way we're made. We, we'll always be this way. Mm-hmm. I love what you said that history is not relevant. And that's the disconnect. How do we mm -hmm. make it relevant? Ah, oh, well, gosh. I mean, that's, I think, with, you know, doing things like this, which is to talk about things and, and say, you know what, they're, they're really connected. Everything, there's a connection. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a question that people wrestle with still today. How do you make history relevant? And it's tough mm -hmm. because there's almost like a... I want to say a stigma, but there's this thing about like, oh, gosh, it's boring. It's not. It, it's the opposite. History is fascinating. And, um, and unfortunately, I think we also live in a period where history is being rewritten. And we see it all the time. And it's being rewritten with a uh, motive behind it. And that's the thing mm -hmm. that I find very frightening because when you read about propaganda in ancient Rome or even just throughout history when you find particular moments where things were skewed and you, you know, we know now we're like, that's not how it went. You know, I feel that that's what's happening today. There's a revisionism going on constantly that history is being used as a political stick to beat, to beat people with or to, to gain power with, you know, mm. and people have a sort of limited interest in it, right? It's the, the, the diffusing of our information is that there's also a lot of bad information. And, uh, you know, it causes a great amount of confusion. But 
Uh, I think yeah. I would just said the whole of it. Say, yeah, you know, uh, take an take an interest in it. You know, it's also about making it appealing. But mm-hmm. I would say the one thing is that it, it's it's massively connected. And I think if you you start reading, you, or or even watching documentaries, you know, maybe not films. They tend not to be terribly accurate all the time. I won't get into <laughs> that because you know I was getting a hard time for it. Um, I don't know. It's a good. It's a it's a good question. Well, it's kind of ironic what you pointed out is that we use history to attain our means, mm. but we're perhaps unwilling or uninterested to use it as not necessarily a roadmap, but to learn better about myself yeah. and my fellow humans and our culture around us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, ultimately, I don't we all want good, you know? I mean, well, I would hope so, right? We do. I think as a whole... That's what's endearing about us is that we do want good. We do want society to be good. And if you have kids, you want the world to be better for your children. And um, and it does, you know, if, if you learn why you do things, and again, like I said before, right, when you realize that what you do does have an effect, I, I tend to think that if, if you take a sort of a good amount of interest in history, it makes you a little bit more responsible, right? Because there is a knock-on effect, all right, maybe not on a world stage, right? But if, you, if you're wealthy and you blow it all and your kids have to suffer and struggle and then their kids, you know, and they can't afford to go to school and then the next ones can't afford to go to school, you know, it has, it has a knock-on effect. We, we know that, right? We, we talk about that today and actively in, you know, um, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of topics today that go back so we use history in a, in a certain way when it suits us, and then when it it doesn't, we ignore it. Yeah, ain't that ain't that human? Mm, very. <laughs> so you've you've mentioned a few times about the parallels between uh, gladiators and the entertainment of Rome, and mm-hmm. then the entertainment we have today. And so maybe package it a little more together for me. Sure. What are those parallels, and why? You definitely, I wouldn't say dark, but there's a little bit of a, like a, an element when I'm hearing it of like, oh, well, the people in power kind of understand if I just keep those people distracted, then I can do my own thing. And so I don't want to get too dark with it, but it sounds like you have a bit of a theory there. So, yeah, well, again, it's, it's, it's that, that theme, the right, uh, you know, the right Mm -hmm. of juvenile says that most people aren't really concerned with, you know, the sort of larger picture, because if you get up and you go to work and you work a nine to five and you're, you know, working to make ends meet and stuff. And, you know, a certain amount of what's going on in the world, you care and you don't care. Right. It's almost like it's my world. And I mean, selfishness is a hugely integral part of being human, right? It's, we have to almost fight against it in a certain way. Um, So it's almost what's going on in your world. Right. So uh, it goes back to, to wealth, right? If you are, uh, everything's good and you wake up and you don't have to struggle for anything, then you start thinking about other stuff, right? Um, but if you're at the bottom and every day is a struggle and so on, you're not really concerned about it. And we can see that in politics today, especially in America, right? Where we have uh, certain subjects that people are really very passionate about and others are like, I don't care. Like, I, you know, I got to get up. I got to drag myself to work. I got to take my kids to school. I got to pay my bills, you know. Um so it's not it's not maybe just even a question of selfishness. Sometimes it's just a question of survival. But 
distraction is, is fundamental. Yes, of course it is. And we also live in a moment of history where distraction is incredibly easy because back then they had to drag you to the Coliseum. It's not by you know, coincidence that tickets to the Coliseum were free or tickets to the Circus Maximus where the, chariot, the, the, the charioteers uh, would race were free. It's, hmm. it's done on purpose because here's the truth is that, again, you've got slaves, you've got very cheap labor, you've got a lot of unemployment, people are poor, they're restless. You, you know, society is often kept together by a very thin thread. Imagine 2,000 years ago. And what do you do? Well, you give them food, okay? You take care of them, you get a bit of money, and you distract them. You put on the game. So, yes, life is tough, and it's awful, and it's brutal, and it's short. But you know what? Coming up is the Coliseum Super Bowl, right? Because for that weekend, you're going to go meet your friends and you're going to have food and wine and you've got free tickets and you get to watch um, beast hunts and fire breathers and dancers and there's music and you can win stuff and there's gladiators fighting and you think, oh, you know, and then it's back to work on Monday. Well, we had the pandemic, right, uh, throughout the world. And, you know, Italy got it pretty bad and everything was awful. And all of a sudden, you know, we have images on the news of people watching the football, uh, the soccer, right? The European games. And there's people hugging and they're celebrating. And you're like, what happened yesterday? Mm -hmm. There's this, you know, uh, this event happened and everybody forgot everything. And it's powerful because it's psychological. You know, I, I, I fell for it. I'm, I'm a person who was under lockdown completely by myself in isolation almost. And all of a sudden I was in a square watching the games and, you know, it's almost like, oh, you know, it's, you, you see how it works so efficiently. Um, and I think that if you look at, I mean, sure, you could make the, the, the comparison with, with combat sports like MMA, but at the same time, do it with any sport, you know. Well, it's, it's tough and, you know, you got to wake up and you're nine to five and you're boring rigmarole of a life. But, hey, it's Super Bowl Sunday. I can't wait. Got to meet some friends, have some drinks. And so, you know, you get on with it. And that's about, yeah. you know, the, the level of interest you have. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating topic, topic to dive into. And I, I honestly don't know where I land on that because I, I tend to not approach things of their a concerted effort to manipulate people oh. in that way. But I, agree, but but I really, I, like, I, I fully understand the, the theory you're laying down. Oh, I, <clears throat> well, put it this way. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that it's a conscious error. I'm not a conspiracy yeah. theorist and saying no, but the temptation mm -hmm. is there. Like, put it this way. Imagine a button that you could press every time to distract somebody, say your politician, Right. And there's a button that you can distract people every time things are going wrong. Would you trust that person, regardless of who they are, <clears throat> not to press it? And now look back at maybe historically, look at the last 20 years of history. And tell me you don't believe that that button was pushed a few times. Out of 20, you don't think that perhaps, as happened in Rome, in ancient Rome, wars were fought to distract people. Games were put on to distract people. Political maneuvers were made to distract people. They did. We know that. We study them. Caesar was wonderful at it. You know, distract. Augustus was brilliant at it. You know, 
they, that button exists. Of course it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you and I could be on any social media, right? Facebook, Instagram, whatever, right? And say we're watching, I don't know, some terrible news mm-hmm. event. And then the next thing is, uh, you know, I, I don't know, something cute or a video or something. It doesn't distract you. Of course it does. It's natural. Whether we trust people not to use that button is another thing. So I'm, that's what I'm saying is that that button does exist and there's always a temptation to be able to use it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think in the most part I agree. I always just find it's a challenging topic to think and discuss because it's close to that conspiracy world mm. and well, it's a slippery slope it's a slippery it is slope. a slippery slope <clears throat> and so i'm always i'm always so cautious to think about that stuff in those ways but when you overlay the the thing that i know i know about myself as a human mm-hmm. and then the people around me and just humanity and we mm-hmm. we are distractible oh, in that sense and and when you overlay power and power dynamics, and then mm-hmm. as you're saying, all these political maneuverings, it's it, it it's a very solid theory, and it, and yeah. and not just theory, but like we've seen it, we've seen it play out. We've we studied oh, yeah, it, as you say. yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, when you look at the events, let's say last, say twenty years, right? Mm-hmm. You don't think that they will be analyzed in a different way, you know? Like you don't or, think in or the future, rewritten by some or rewritten. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Never you know. know. No, you don't. You don't. But that's what I'm saying is that uh, we are like you're saying, you know, we're, we're, we're human. We are human. We, there's so many aspects about us that will never change. You know, on a whole, I should not be able to pick up something that was written 2000 years ago and find any commonality with it. The fact that I do tells me that between myself and someone 2000 years ago, there's a great deal of similarities. Of course there are because human nature is human nature. So when you look at the trajectory of the past and say these things happened, I actually think it's, I understand your trepidation to make these comparisons because it's frightening to think that. And the reason is, is that we live where the, we live in a period of history where the stakes are a lot higher than ancient Rome, than antiquity. You know, Mm -hmm. in antiquity, you didn't have the ability to destroy physically destroy, you know, on the level we do today, right? And so uh, I think it's, I think predominantly for that reason, we should make a more conscientious effort to look at it and be, and look, look at what's happening with open eyes. There you go. Mm-hmm. Without delving into silly conspiracy theories and going off the, you know, into the deep dark end, which is very easy to do. But again, I, I think it's, you can't look at history and say these things happen and say, well, then, but they're, they're definitely not happening today. They are, but it depends which events you look at or um, which particular, I don't know, let's say wars or events or whatever that are happening that you think these are being used for that reason. Did, were there any periods in Rome where conspiracy theories were more prevalent? Uh, no, they were always prevalent. You know, they, the Romans. Prevalent. Yeah, of course, there was always conspiracy. But not like theories. more prevalent in some era or not. No, but you know, a society starts to break down and tear itself apart and has less in common with each other. And the more you start to view your neighbor as as a stranger, then the more you know, uh, quite naturally, suspicion starts to to come in. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it it 
ultimately, if things are going well, then no, it doesn't happen, right? So as long as you're living well and you've got what you need and so on and you're, you're, you're tended to, then you're fine. But the moment it starts to break down, the moment you start to not be able to maintain your quality of life or survive is the moment that things break down. So mm-hmm. on a whole, there was always conspiracy theories, there was always attempts, there was always propaganda, there was you know uh, ideas that were placed forward which weren't true to get power. Because ultimately, you know, Rome's a, a good lesson on power. And I don't think mm-hmm. one that we've learned terribly well from. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so this has been a really interesting conversation. I think to wind down, if you just have maybe a standout story or your favorite story from Rome, it doesn't have to be related to really talks you're talking about, or maybe it is, but just maybe take walk us through a little a little moment in... Uh, this is, this is the, the hardest question of all the <laughs> questions you've made me. Uh, I bet. Uh, well, because I, 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 you know, I, have a, I absolutely adore Roman history and all of it's fascinating to me. And I do, I, particular, I think I have particular moments I like more. There's things, like, things that happen um, and seeing as we're on a sort of, you know, talking about Rome in, in a modern sense, uh, things that happened that I think, like the Emperor Vespasian, I always think is a, is a brilliant emperor. And he, he had a, a brilliant sense of humor. Um, uh, for example, what uh, year was this? Like when uh, was he emperor? We're, we're talking about the seventies AD. So he's, he's okay. the guy who has this idea about the Colosseum, right? About building the Colosseum. Mm. And he was brilliant because he was an emperor who came from, he was a commoner, right? And he, he, he works his way up through the ranks. So, um, and ultimately becomes emperor, right? And um, he has he he because he reasons that way because he has that mentality. He's actually hugely successful because mm. he's not from the you know the um, the nobility. He's not an elite. He's worked his way hard to get to where he is. So he has this great idea. You know, the emperor Nero had built uh, his gardens in an area of, of Rome that had burnt down and he thought well why don't i build a massive cinema give everyone free tickets and put on a great show that'll make me popular and it worked but uh he he was he had these uh, he had these fantastic little snippets of of of, of great sense of humor and i always think he would have made a great uh president because his tweets would have been fantastic (laughs) you know um so one was with his uh his son uh titus in which he started to put a taxation on urine Right, because urine, you get ammonia, and from ammonia you get bleach. So you got to bleach clothing. That's where you get the the ammonia from, right? So what he <laughs> realizes is that you know the the let's say laundromats of their time were getting free urine. They were going around the the bars and they were getting the pots and getting urine. He says, well, that's not good. They're making a lot of money, so he puts a taxation. And his son, uh, you know, gets very upset about this because he doesn't think it's a, it's a sort of honorable thing to do. And he says to him, does the smell of gold offend you? And it's that, you know, wordplay. And you think that would be a great tweet because it's really well thought out, you know. <laughs> um, but I, I have, I don't know, more than gr- like favorite stories, I have favorite things about the Romans. And they're generally of how similar we are to them. Um, mm-hmm. And in the most like obscure ways, for example, you'd never think that Romans are very similar to us in the way that they wrote things. So when you go see an arch, for example, Roman arch, it says imp, seize, org, SPQR. And it's because on, predominantly people don't read in ancient Rome. They're illiterate. 
So you only have a certain amount of space on an arch that you can use to write, and the rest of it is imagery. It's pictures, photographs, because people would read the photos, right? They would read the, the reliefs. But mm. for those who could read, it was at the top. But it's shorthand because you only have a certain amount of characters you can fit. And you think, well, that's irrelevant to us. No, it's not. Because 2,000 years from now, if someone manages to work a cell phone from today and finds LOL or any of the abbreviations, they're like, what the heck are people <laughs> saying? So, you know, they face the same problem. So SPQR was Senate People of Rome, Senatus Populisco Romanus, August Augustus. But because they only have that amount of space, they had a limited amount of characters, and so they use shorthand. And we still do it today. Um, I think the, the last thing I would add is, is more, you know, Again, I'm not a doomsdayer. I don't, I don't think it's doom mm -hmm. and gloom. I really have a hope in the best of humanity and that we always try and, and steer ourselves towards better. And I think if people took a slight interest and looked back at how things went and stepped outside of, of what's going on at the moment and treated each other with a little bit more understanding, because the key is history, right? Is that everyone has a different one. If you and I were to sit and talk politics, we would inevitably have a different political view, right? Mm -hmm. You found this tons of times. But the key to that is history, because the history of that person is entirely different to yours. And I was trying to understand what brought people to, to have these views, right? No matter how much I disagree with them, how much I, I agree with them, history is the key, because we all have a personal history, and that's what forms are the way we think and why we think certain things. And if I would ask people to be a little bit more kind in that way and a little less emotional because the stakes are high. They're hugely high. We know that, and not because, you know, there's a conspiracy, but because if you pick up a book from 2,000 years ago, you'll find the effects of, of not taking that course of action are not good. The end of the Roman Empire took back human excellence 500 years. The Dark Ages are something that we think, ah, oh, it could never happen again. Well, they 100% could. It won't happen the exact same way. And I think when you look at any event in history, we always think it's going to be the same. It's not. It's subtle the way it happens, but it is happening. Um, so I would say, yeah, it's it's... I'm not a doomsdayer, but I would say be cautious and, you know, make a conscientious effort to, to learn about someone else through their history. And, uh, and let's not, you know, let's not be a footnote in history. Let's be in a, an excellent moment in history. Mm -hmm. well, I think that's a valid warning. Stakes are high and be more empathetic. Think more 100%. about others and, and be more interested in their history and what what brought them to their position. Yeah, precisely, precisely. You know, um, I <laughs> and uh, never mind, never mind. I'm gonna I'm gonna end on a high. Gonna, <laughs> okay, so this is the let's do it. Was, no, 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 no. Uh, um, uh, without. No, I mean yeah. it sounds sounds great. Let's end on a high. <laughs> let's end on a high, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, yeah, Alexander, thank you so much for joining. I really thank appreciate you, your time and, and all your knowledge you brought to this conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh, I look forward to having some more uh, non-tumultuous discussions in the future. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Take care. Thank you for watching to the very end. 
If you like our content, make sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review. It is the best way to help us reach the most people possible, and that way we can keep producing content every week. Make sure to drop a comment below of who you'd like us to interview next, and we look forward to seeing you next week.